Good morning and welcome to the Mindwalk podcast, the podcast where we discuss all things coming up in the mining industry, specifically with regards to the future of mining and digitization. Those are some of the many fields that we talk about and we get experts of all stripes involved in this podcast, bringing you the latest news and the latest things of interest from the world of mining around the world. Today, we've got a very special treat with a friend of mine, RP, for many years, a gentleman by the name of Christian Larson. I'll let him introduce himself. Christian and Minor P has been in contact for many years. In the past, he has led some of our competitive organizations. And uh, lately, we're working together on all kinds of interesting projects as well. But I'll let Christian introduce himself. It's always a pleasure to speak to you, Christian Larson. Good morning. Uh, good morning, MP. Although it is Brisbane, so it's afternoon here. But it doesn't count. You know. it's, it's my time. <laughs> That's fair enough. Okay. Well, here's my backstory as quickly as possible. Sure. So I graduated in the 1980s as a mining engineer. So that sort of set me off into the direction of the type of industry. But unlike most of my peers, I didn't go and work for a mining company. I actually went straight away to a technology company and started in software. So I've been involved in probably developing more than... You know, a dozen products over the years. And when I go and review over the history, I, I think I have a success or can claim a success rate of about one in three, which I think is all right. Yeah, that's not bad and, at all. Yeah. I, you know, so I can look around in the landscape and there are products that I, you know, anywhere from developed or worked on and they still exist. But I also can claim quite a number of failures. They're always the more exciting ones to think about. I then went into the more the corporate dark side and uh, got involved in capital raisings and mergers and acquisitions. I've done two capital raisings, one of which was an IPO. I've done seven acquisitions. Out of them, I can claim five good ones and two bad ones. So again, a bit of a ratio of success and failure. I then did a bit of management consulting for a while, got involved in some non-mining industries for a little bit, for a couple of years. And then in uh, 2014, I began a new tech startup for the mining industry, for which uh, my friends at MineRP provided the original seed funding for. We've just been working on uh, you know, developing cutting-edge technologies in IoT spatial sensors, coupled with cloud platforms. So I've kind of gotten right into the bleeding edge of mining technology at the moment. It's not super lucrative yet, but it's uh -huh. a hell of a lot of fun. So Christian, I mean, you're a mining engineer by, uh, I, I should say, at least by trade <laughs> yes. um, or by earning. Why? Why the move to technology? Is it because you're a technologist at heart? Is it because you're a problem solver at heart? What made you rather look to, to software engineering instead of mining engineering as, as the way to go? I, I think it, it, like all students, you know, when you're in your student phase, you get to work, you know, during vacations for a lot of mining companies. And I kind of found myself at the end of my degree thinking to myself, well, these are the kind of problems that I like to solve, which is kind of mining and spatial problems. Yeah. Uh, but these are not the cultures that I'd like to work within, and specifically the mining companies. Uh, there's nothing wrong with them. They just weren't the culture of company that I'd like to work within personally. So I was a bit of a conundrum at that stage. I actually thought I was going to go and do another degree. But a job came up 
in a small software business that was in Brisbane just as I was graduating and, you know, totally underpaid. So obviously I took it. And, uh, and it was just, I just find this whole area so much more interesting than, you know, doing the next mine plane. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the failure's mine, not the mining industries. It's just, uh, it's just cultural fit for me. Right. I, uh, I remember, you know, some of the first times that we met, it was many years ago here in Pretoria and then afterwards in Brisbane, you know, at, at a few occasions. And uh, it's always been interesting for me that you are passionate about change, you know, and, and you always seem to be looking at what's coming down the turnpike, you know, what's up with the world and specifically the world of mining and technology. Does technology outside of mining interest you specifically? Actually, it, it interests me more in many respects. I look <laughs> outside of mining mostly in terms of what can I steal from other industries and bring into mining. You know, yeah. for, uh, there's a clear example in my current work. The autonomous vehicle industry has mm -hmm. generated an immense move forward in LiDAR technology. And uh, the price performance of LiDARs have just improved at a remarkable pace. So what yeah. we've done is taken a lot of this uh, tech that's coming out of autonomous vehicles. We're starting to, just starting to now, apply it to a whole bunch of use cases in mining. So it's interesting. I, I, I really love the mining industry, but I'm more interested in the technology outside of the mining industry and how to bring it in. Yeah. A week or so ago, you sent me an email to say, maybe have a look at this. I started a new vlog. That's a video blog or a, a video log or whatever you want to call it. Essentially, some something very much like this Mind Warp podcast, but with video. <laughs> and you call it the zero entry vlog. Tell us a little bit more about that. It, it's something that's been on my mind for a while. I, I've been... While I've been interested in technology and mining, I've been interested in how to get the technology applied in mining. And over the years, I've learned that most of the issues are cultural in nature. And so I've been thinking about all the different ways of which you can get your technologies adopted and used and that the customer then generates value from. You know, probably, as I can say, I've got, you know, I said one in three successes. You could turn that around and say I've got two out of three failures all the failures sort of stems from mostly cultural fit reasons. You know, does the, does the product really fit within the, you know, the cultural framework of mining companies? And, and that's been of interest for you for some time. And I thought I could share all the things I've learned. I can also share with other practitioners in the field, debate them, talk about how, you know, that was, that was the idea behind the blog. I never got it started. So I've been thinking about this for almost three years now. And I really just could never quite get going because I, I just felt that it didn't matter. And by the end of 2019, I'd pretty much written it out of my mind to do because I'd come to the conclusion that the rapid race of change in mining wasn't actually going to happen. That what was going to happen, that doesn't mean we don't adopt technologies, we do, we just adopted at a measured pace. There wasn't going to be this super accelerated pace that I have been hungering for, I suppose. And it was just going to go ahead at the measured state because the industry could always bleed off into 
shallow or higher grade deposits in countries that were improving their you know political standing you know basically yeah. central africa and the stands you'll you'll get lots of deposits there that you can now access before we jump into that hypothesis yep. of yours um yes sure. you, you said something interesting right now and you talked about the failures of software to work because of a failure maybe in a cultural fit and immediately i thought that you didn't say oh this piece of software didn't work because the piece of software didn't work oh no it was no. about the technology it was about how that kind of sits in the organization in which you try it out isn't it correct i actually can't think of a single instance of technical failure you know yeah. uh it may have happened i mean my i might have wiped it from my memory but i don't think so i think in every case we've had technical success you know even in later years where you had the formality of a user acceptance test and sign off you know yeah. i've literally had the experience of having a user acceptance and sign off and the software being switched off the very next day wow so and so i think that's one of the reasons why the world has turned to an agile approach to software development you know because we found very often that especially with older waterfall kind of development paradigms you identify a problem spend 6 to 12 months solving the problem and by the time that you've got the solution the problem is not uh, relevant anymore you know <laughs> yeah mp i'll probably talk about agile in a little bit at my vlogs in the future i think it has a role but it's not the complete answer there's a I, I don't want to go into all of the theses that are rattling around <laughs> in my head but the basis of the vlog is actually to explore all of those elements i i want to unpick all of these things strand by strand and think through the steps if you you know think about it from a standard change management methodology think about it from a software eats the world methodology think about it from a agile methodology when does it work when have i seen it not work maybe talk to people who've tried the different things and again i'm very much interested in successes and contrasting them with failures what i loved about your your vlog when i looked at it first was you kind of elevated the problem of why this piece of tech doesn't work from mm. a the tech itself to b the direct context of the mind within which it is being implemented to this level of the industry and how mm. it sits within the global economy and how it sits within the various countries within which it sits and that's the kernel of your hypothesis isn't it and maybe you can jump right. into it a little bit more detail now that it it goes way beyond the mining company yes and that's what i'm starting with my very first episode was simply which way are the winds of change going you know are they from behind and pushing you forward at accelerated rate or are they against you and i would contend that you know the industry's been stalled if you like there's been no win one way or another until and again i think that by the end of 2019 we could have gone with digital transformation and and other you know i don't particularly like that term but that's a term yeah. that has been used but those projects invariably have all failed and i think you know the umpire has called that one and and i i kind of shrugged my shoulders and said well that's it you know we're just going to grind it out from here on out there's no wind in our sails but then covid happened and covid has changed everything and that's why in my youtube channel i go into actually linking the shattering of the global supply chains 
with food security and how yeah. that's going to end up just ruining the political stability of all those areas that have that have the shallow high-grade deposits. I believe... So the easy areas are not going to be uh, accessible anymore? Well, I think they're off the table for at least a decade, possibly two. Wow. Which means we now have to, as an industry, we have no choice. We must now embrace technology at a pace that we never have before. So what I'm saying, COVID has put wind in our tail. All of us tech mining technology companies will be pushed forward and our customers will demand that of us, that we actually move at a faster pace. That's what I believe. Now, we'll see whether that prediction turns out to be true, but I put a stake in the ground and said, and I'm calling it now, and mm. you know, we'll know in a few years' time whether I called it right or you know, I was it was just delusion. <laughs> Christian, just for those of our listeners who have not gone to your uh, blog yet, and, and and I can really encourage them to do so. Just find zero entry vlog on uh, YouTube. You'll find Christian there. But you made a very specific link, as you just mentioned, between food security and how that's going to to kind of create this this impetus, as uh, as you mentioned, or the wind in the sail. Just sure. make, just ex- explain that in a, in a few sentences again. Sure. Why, why now and, and how do you see the link between okay. the mining industry and food security? Okay, so if you are a food, imp- so you'll see on my blog, that's why I have to do it with video because I show the picture of the map of the world with, and you're kind of color-coded from green if you can produce your own food and export and red if you have to import your food. Yeah. But here's the thing. If you want to import your food, you have to buy it on the international market. If you're going to buy it on the international market, you need US dollars. And mm-hmm. right now, if you we've shattered supply chains, you're not getting US dollars by trade. So you have to have something called a, a dollar swap line with the US government. And the dollar swap line has only been set up with, I think we're at 15 nations now. And if you don't have one of those and you're a net food importer, you don't have US dollars. Your Mm. fastest, quickest way of obtaining US dollars is from your mining industry, particularly gold. I think gold in particular is vulnerable. So that's that's either increase of taxation, managing of the exchange uh, controls, or outright nationalization is about to occur. And it's already Mm. starting to happen and you know you can just look at you know what's happening to north of Australia with uh, with Papua New Guinea. You know it's trying to appropriate some gold mines right now, and it's. So and it's you a see resource nationalism as a as a rising factor globally. Uh, in if you don't have a dollar swap line, and you're a food and a net calorie importer, yes. If you're like South Africa, if you look at that map, South Africa, for example, doesn't have a dollar swap line, but it is a net calorie exporter so you guys are okay right that's good news thanks let's, yes. you know let's end this uh, podcast right here <laughs> <laughs> wonderful let's all go <laughs> if you look through most of central africa and you look at the stands they're all yellows and reds which is calorie importers so they have calorie so importers and no swap all have to make some alternative plan to get yes. uh, to get a few dollars to start with these new projects. Yes. 
Yes, and and you you've already seen some early action in Zambia. That's right. that's something closer to your neck of the woods. We've seen it in Papua New Guinea. It has already begun. Okay, and and so what are the those alternatives? What do they the, you know? There's resource nationalism that happens, yes. and then how does that all translate to to accessibility of easy ore bodies and what mining companies now have to do with regards to the use of technology? Well, what the mining companies have to do if they want to stay in the game is they have to get more out of the resources they already have in the secure countries like Australia, South Africa, Chile, United States, Canada, etc. So in the politically stable countries that can feed themselves, that also happens to be the mature mining countries. So they're all the ones that where the deposits have been used up for the last century or so. So we're we're now faced with depth and grade as our biggest constraining factor. And we have to overcome that, you know, headwind of cost. And the only pathway we have is technology. Yeah. It's interesting that you say technology, because very often people make the mistake when we talk about you know innovation and technology of thinking of um, you know computer software as opposed to mining technology, the broader term that addresses you know, everything from autonomous vehicles to new ways of turning more, maybe traditional mining methods into something uh, completely mechanized and autonomous, et cetera, et cetera. So new ways of mining, which then allows us to access maybe previously uh, inaccessible areas, maybe because they were unsafe for people to work in or just unhealthy, if, even if they're not gonna collapse, Etc. Right. So innovation well, well, and technology that's, 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 does that's, not digitization. Correct. And that's why I've named my channel Zero Entry because the idea it's it's this idea of a zero entry mine, a mine that you don't have to actually put human beings into. And if you don't have to put humans into them, your constraints on how you operate and what you access changes radically. And you know, it, it's an aspirational description of what we're heading towards. And so that's why I named the channel after that aspiration. Okay, so so the basic prediction is that mines are going to focus on what they have and they're going to use innovation to to really make more of what they have in, instead of easily you know, finding new ore bodies in new areas that are now going to become politically at risk. Correct. And this will create a massive tailwind for companies such as yours and mine. But it's going to be for everyone in our space. It's not. That's why I, I've I've not tied this channel to my company per se. It's a yeah. general topic of discussion about the whole, all the factors around adoption of technology and what inhibits us, and what do we have to overcome. Okay, so now these companies are typically also the older companies who are fairly fixed in their ways, and they've got big HR complements, and they've got you know, uh, structural hierarchies in place, etc. And uh, and they don't adopt very well very often. (laughs) Am I right? So there's a a resistance, an internal resistance to change that some companies seem to have managed to overcome and some haven't. And you've, you've also been looking at some examples where things have worked well. It's good to look at the outliers. I'm interested in comparisons of success and failures. I like there's a a few of the interviews I'll be doing in the future, there's one in particular I'm fascinated, I can't wait to do. And that's yeah. where an R&D manager implemented a project 
in one of our big mining companies. And it was a absolute rip-roaring, screaming success. And he did it in one division, in one commodity. And then he tried to shift and lift exactly the same thing into another commodity in the same company within the yeah. same year and failed miserably. Well, and and I just can't wait to get in and just compare those two and what was driving the dynamics. And yeah. I'll give you a clue. There is a pattern that's emerging because I've got about three of these interviews lined up uh, where we're contrasting success and failure. Yeah. And in almost every case, the success was required desperation. The asset was marginal or the commodity price had collapsed or... There'd been some disaster, but in every case, once once the crisis has hit, that overcame all of that internal resistance that you talked about. I as yet have not found anywhere yet where these positive fast changes occurred in an environment of just pure goodwill. Yeah. So good times change doesn't happen. You know, you've got to hit rock bottom before you realize I've got to do something about it. Yes. And, and aren't we in one of those right now, globally? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the whole industry and even beyond the mining industry as a whole, I think, realized, A, we've got to change the way we do things. B, we've got to be open to adopting new ways. If I just look at Microsoft's publication on the adoption of Teams, you know, Microsoft Teams, Globally, I look at that in our inside of our own company. It's interesting how we had a tough time to get anyone to use Office 365 fully and you know in, in all of its nuances. And within a month or two, three, all of a sudden everyone's an expert and life just goes on. Yeah. And I guess there's that pivot point which is now being tested in the global industry and specifically in mining as well. Are yeah. we going to be able to reinvent ourselves? and navigate these new waters because they are new waters, right? Yep. And what I'm claiming, in, or at least predicting, is that this, the crisis that we're in isn't going to finish for years. In fact, it's going to get worse for a while yet. And that's going to drive a hell of a lot of change and a hell of a lot of adoption. You know, this is the moment where, again, we've got wind in our sails and we're going to all move forward together. Yeah. Christian, I look forward to seeing, listening to more of your Zero Entry Vlog episodes. Uh, okay. Certainly, I'll enjoy listening to you and, and okay. chatting with you. Before I let you go, we always end the podcast by asking our guests, you know, what's what's on your bedside table? What are you reading? And I know you're a reader. And yes. <laughs> pretty much every time I meet you, you you rock up with a book or two and say, hey, have you, have you seen this latest one? And it can be on anything from marketing to mining. So uh, what's, what are you reading right now? Well, I'm reading, um, I'm almost finished it, my second read of the book. So that just shows you, I usually only read books once, but this one I'm, I'm reading for the second time. And that is Disunited Nations. I think it's the scramble for power in an unstructured world. So basically, uh, it's, it's from an author called Peter Zayan. So it's, it's actually where that, the map of the food security comes from. So it comes from... From, from that book. Okay. I thought I saw that in your blog. Mm, mm. Great. Christian, thanks a lot for your time. And, and hopefully we can get you back once you've had a few more episodes and you will have made a few more interesting statements, which we can then test. 
So in a few months, hopefully we can chat again and, and we would have seen whether or not your predictions stood the test of time. Yeah, well, it'll take a year or two till we know for sure. I do list a few things in the text below my vlog as to what would invalidate my thesis. But, uh, you know, things like uh, if the US dollar doesn't become the, you know, the, the currency of trade, uh, if if we suddenly invent some new currency like Bitcoin or something, if it takes over, I don't think it will. I think that's a low probability event. But things like that could change the basic thesis. So I list a few things of what might invalidate, you know, what I'm predicting. But we'll see. I just see this course of events as the highest probable outcome. All right. Well, great. Thank you for spending time with us. And um... no problems, Yuki. It was enjoyable. Yeah, it always people is. Want to, people want to yeah. get a hold of you. Where, where do they find you? On LinkedIn, of course. Uh, is there a website that they can turn to? They can, uh, well, there's my day job with a technology company that I'm working on. So that's glassterra.com. So you can always hit the links there. But uh, best place to go is, uh, is my LinkedIn. I like uh, answering. Or you can go to the blog itself and write some comments in, in there as well. I'll, I'll respond to them. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you.